Welcome to the podcast of Azel Christian Church. We are a Disciples of Christ Church community in Azel, Texas. We invite everyone to be who you are with us, the doubting, the believing, the wondering, and everything in between. On this podcast, you'll hear our pastor, Reverend Ashley Dargai, preach on how the expansive and generative love of God is seen through Jesus, the prophets, the early church, and the faith forebears, and how this love helps us care for the world more deeply and faithfully. Sometimes it's messy and tough, but it's good news, and it is for you. Our text for today is Malachi 3, 1 through 4, and it's on the back of your bulletin if you'd like to follow along. See, I am sending my messenger to prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Indeed, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming, and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the descendants of Levi and refine them like gold and silver until they present offerings to the Lord in righteousness. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and as in former years. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. There are years that ask questions and years that answer. That's the first line of the book, Their Eyes Were Watching God, by Zora Neale Hurston. There are years that ask questions and years that answer. The book of Malachi is beset with questions. In just 55 verses, there are 22 questions, such as, how has God loved us? Has not one God created us? Where is the God of justice? How shall we return to God? And from today's text, two questions. Who can endure the messenger's coming? Who can stand when he appears? And Malachi's a funny little book in that it's hard to place it on a timeline. Most people believe it's at least 100 years after the Israelites have returned from their Babylonian exile, and a complacency of their fate has settled in. The religious leaders are forgetting their responsibilities and advancing their own agendas. The powerful and privileged are using their wealth to build more and more wealth at the expense of the poor and vulnerable. Laborers are defrauded, widows and orphans are oppressed, strangers are deprived of justice, and women are the object of violence. And it's hard to imagine that they'd be surprised that God calls them out on all of this, but they are. And while all of this is true, all of these accusations, it's also not the whole story. The Israelites are back home, it's true. Thanks be to God. But they're also under the thumb of the Persian Empire, who extracted exorbitant tributes and crushing taxes from the people, much like Rome will do a few hundred years from now. 
The priests and the powerful often shortchanged God in the temple, and the regular folks were caught in between these two loyalties. God or empire? Who gets what little we have? How could they fulfill their responsibilities toward God and their neighbor when they live in the midst of an empire that demanded total allegiance? Was it even possible for them to live in an empire and at the same time be faithful to God? And of course, these are questions that don't have a timestamp on them. We're still asking them today. And there are some who figure out how to love God and neighbor and also live in empire. Jesus, for one. But if you remember where his story goes, he doesn't live long in that tension. And the ambiguity of when this crisis falls in Israel's history allows us to use some of its themes in our timeline. Now, we know that our story is different from Malachi's, what little we know of it. You know, for example, our political and sociological spheres are not equivalent to the Persian Empire. We are not a religious minority like the Israelites were, and particularly as white Christians, we don't have the trauma of exile and slavery etched into our DNA. However, the abuses Malachi is dealing with are not unique to Israel's history or human history in general. Greed, exploitation, oppression of the most vulnerable. We could put those problems in just about any time in history, including ours, and we'd be like, yeah, that sounds accurate. So perhaps instead of seeing Malachi as a blueprint, we might look at it like a stencil. We can place it on a piece of paper and trace its movements onto a drawing of our context. And perhaps we might find similar curves and lines that give us an idea of what Christ coming into the world means to us today. There are years that ask questions and years that answer. I wonder which one the coming year will be. Will it be a year that asks questions or a year that answers? We began the new liturgical year last week with hope. Hope, our first tool for preparing for Advent, is a muscle we must flex and exercise, especially in a world caught in a cycle of despair and destruction. And however seriously we must take what is happening in the world and what the headlines reflect, hope tells us that it is never the full story of our time. It's not the last word on us or God's movement in the world. What we call the news is necessarily focused utterly and completely on what is catastrophic and corrupt and failing. And in our faithfulness to God's reign being realized, we are called to bear witness to what is wrong and what needs healing and repair. And we do this while also holding on to hope with the practice of keeping our hearts and our imagination and our energy oriented toward what God is building, what God is creating, what we're walking towards. For hope is an orientation toward the long view of things. 
It's not zeroed in on a moment in history or a person or a place or an event or a memory. Hope sees not only what was and what is, but what could be, what is yet to be. And like the surprising turn of hope being communicated through the apocalyptic, peace is communicated through a refining fire and harsh soap. Personally, I'd like for peace to come in the form of a benevolent yet authoritative figure like Tom Hanks. And he gets up in front of the world and says, look, if everyone can just be cool for like 10 minutes, I think that we could end war and oppression. Thanks for your cooperation, everybody. And we'd all say, yes, sir. Or it'd be great if peace could come through an erasure of everything bad that has happened. Like the memory wiper from Men in Black, you know, except for the whole world, right? Wipe the slate clean, return our memories to a state of oblivious bliss, and let us start over. We could be cool for like 10 minutes, maybe. Or what if peace could be taken like a pill, a la The Matrix, right? We gulp it down with some water, take a nice nap, and when we wake, we find that everyone is suddenly cool with each other. And we walk around a little zombie-like, sure, but war would be over and oppression would cease. Unfortunately, like Dan said in Children's Moment, peace doesn't seem to be so easy. Peace involves some extensive preparation. And if, like Malachi says, the messenger is preparing the way through a refining fire and a launderer's soap, then that means that the messenger is not starting from scratch. He's not throwing out the impure and dirty, but he's rather working to cleanse them. It seems he's reckoning with what is before him instead of just hoping for the best. And Malachi has these questions for us today. Who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand it? I wonder if the good news, the gospel, is coming to us today in the form of questions. What if the peace of Christ is not an answer given to a world in conflict? but is a question asked of us. Are we ready to receive this peace? Are we prepared for what the leveling of mountains and raising of valleys will mean? That will, after all, be Mary's song, her theological understanding of what her baby boy will do to us. Are we really ready to hope for the first to be last and the last to be first, that the powerful will be brought low, the rich will be sent away empty, the proud scattered. Can we endure it? Can we stand to see it? Perhaps an entry question would be how we respond to it happening today. When those things are true in microform, in small places, how do we receive that news? 
when these microworks of justice and peace and love are wrought, and it calls us to give up a piece of our comfort, our wealth, our privilege, what is our reply? If in hope we are orienting ourselves toward the long view of time, then in the name of peace, how are we orienting ourselves toward a more just and inclusive view of the world? Sometimes good news asks difficult questions of us so that welcome answers can be given to others. This is what it means for the mountaintops and the valley lows to meet. And if we are truly to be people who are preparing the way for the gospel, for the good news of Jesus to come into the world again and again and again, news of great import of hope and peace and joy and love, then that necessarily means that our world will be rocked and reckoned with. We heard that in the text from last week. Everything will change, Jesus says. Look at the skies. There are years that ask questions and years that answer. What if peace is asking us these questions? Can you endure it? Can you stand it? And perhaps, instead of being quick to answer, an action that the Gospels illustrate repeatedly as a foolish one, we might live the questions posed to us. In a very biblical way, we might count the cost of peace and make sure we fully understand it. We might keep watch as our text last week encouraged us, paying attention to the signs and taking the long view of things. I mean, of course, yes, we want to be people of peace, instruments of peace. Yes, yes, Lord. Can we endure it? Can we stand it? Because if we answer too quickly, we might not be able to live without answer. But if we are patient with these questions, if we live these questions, leaving them unresolved for a time, perhaps we might learn to love them. We might come to see them as locked rooms or books written in a foreign language, begging to be discerned carefully and tenderly. And maybe someday, in the future, we will gradually live our way into the answer by letting ourselves be refined and washed, held by flames and suds, we might reflect the peace of Christ. We might find ourselves participating in the building of the world his mother sings about, valleys raised and mountains brought low. There's an interesting piece of trivia about the purification of metals. The refining process is not only for removing impurities, which is the point we usually take from texts like these. But when silver is refined, it is treated with carbon and charcoal, which prevents the absorption of oxygen, which results in a sheen. And a skilled silversmith knows that the refining process is complete only when she observes her own image 
reflected in the mirror-like surface of the metal. When we finally are reflecting the image of the divine back to the most holy one, perhaps the question of peace might finally find an answer. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Azel Christian Church podcast. Azel Christian Church exists to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ through meaningful liturgy during worship, a public witness through outreach in the community, the nurturing of the spiritual life of every age group, and the witness of each member through discipleship, baptism, and the sharing of resources. To support this podcast and the ministries of Azel Christian Church, visit azelchristianchurch.org. Here you can contribute through giving online or find our Venmo information. If you're looking for a church or simply want to talk to one of our ministers, contact us through our website and we will be in touch. Talk to you soon.